0: Uh, We are continuing in our uh, series through the book of Matthew, and uh, we find ourselves on verse 34, and uh, this is a good passage, by the way. This is uh, kind of the center, if you will, of the Bible. If you want to know what the Bible is about in uh, just a, a sentence or two, it's found in this passage. If you are wondering Uh, What God's will is for your life, what you should be doing, God, why in the world did you create me? Why do I exist? It's found in this passage. This is uh, a central passage. In fact, this passage is where we get the the mission for our church. When we talk about loving Jesus and loving people and and seeing lives transformed, it is from this uh, very core, central text, and so a good text for us to be on today today. Uh, now the setting again, Jesus here is just a few days away from his crucifixion. So things are getting really intense, they're, they're, they're heating up. He's had some conflict with the Pharisees and last week we saw uh, the Sadducees tried to get him with some questions about marriage and heaven and the afterlife and, uh, and Jesus of course answered with incredible wisdom and so the Sadducees step back and uh, next up to bat again. Is the Pharisees, and so they want to take another shot at Jesus. And so it says, Now when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they assembled together. And probably to talk, What can we ask him? How can we get him? How can we make a fool of him? Because you know he's gaining popularity, and these guys are very jealous. And one of them, an expert in religious law, so he was like the he really knew the Bible well, supposedly. Asked Jesus a question to test him. And that, that Greek word actually has uh, implied that he want, they wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to, again, make a fool of Jesus. And so they ask Jesus, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? And of course, uh, according to the, the pharisaical tradition, there's 613 commands in the Old Testament. And so they ask him, Which one is the greatest? This is a test to see if he knew which out of all of those commands, which one would be the most important command. Because if he gets it wrong, then they're going to make a bit of a fool of him. And so Jesus answers, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. So love God and love people. All of the law and the prophet depends on these two commands. Now, for us to really kind of figure out this text, when it comes to us loving God and and loving people, we first need to look at what does it mean to love? Because if you have a very small definition of love, then you're going to love in a very small way. But if you have a, a full, uh, big, huge, kind of biblical definition of love, then all of a sudden we see that there's a real challenge in this text. And and when it comes to love, I mean, the best place to go is God. I mean, we could kind of all sit down together and talk about, hey, what do you think love is? And I'd say, well, I think it's this. And you might say, well, I think it's this. But... There's only one perfect source, and that is God. Because God, by His very definition, is a God of love. And God has always existed before, and He's the one who created everything, and and, and He is the very definition of love. And so if we want to find out what it means to really love God and love people, what it really means to love, we need to look to God. And and thankfully, He tells us what love is in, in the Scriptures. Now, some people in our culture will say uh, love is just a feeling, and, and, that, and that's part of love sometimes. I mean, uh, feeling is an important part, but it's not big enough because if love were just a feeling, that's not enough to carry a marriage or a friendship through a difficult period. It's not enough to, uh, to help you love those whom you don't like if it's just a feeling. It's much more than a feeling. Other people, and more commonly, will say that love is an action. And love is an action. And this, this gets closer to the biblical definition. That to love someone without ever acting is not true love. But it's even bigger than that. Because it's possible to act in a way that looks loving and actually not be loving. And this is actually what it says in First Corinthians 13. It says this. It says, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. I mean, giving all your possessions to the poor, that action looks very loving, incredibly loving. If one of us just gave all that we had and we give it all to the poor, we would all look at it and say, that is so loving, that action. But this text says that if you do that so that you might boast, if you do that for selfish reasons, so you can get on TV or whatever it might be, that you're actually not acting in love. That it's more than just action, that it also has to deal, uh, do with the heart. The heart is important and action is important. And uh, in the text that was on the screen earlier, 1 Corinthians 16, 14, it says, everything you do, should be done in love, so if you give all that you have to the poor, it should be done in love for that to be truly loving. For you to take the punishment for someone, as that last text says, I mean for that truly to be loving, you need to do that in in love that everything we do for it to be loving needs to be to be done in love, that the heart and action are important in and of course, this is one of the great uh, definitions of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And we see here action. We see here the heart and the motive that, that is important. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong." Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So, so love is quite full in terms of heart and action all kind of put together. And if, if we were to attempt maybe to squish it down into a little definition, which probably not a good thing to do, but here was my attempt anyways. <laughs> love is the heart's desire coupled with action to, to bless another person. So when you have a desire to bless someone, when your heart is is wanting to really do something nice for someone, plus you couple that with action, that is more uh, closer to the biblical definition of love. In fact, one of the other definitions in the Bible, very simply, is this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. So, action. Jesus died on the cross, but He didn't do that you know, selfishly or, you know, with a motive not for us. He did that with a heart's desire to to save us. I mean, for God so loved the world that that Jesus came down, that He had a heart's desire to bless us and save us and acted on this. And the Bible says, this is love. And so if you truly love someone, you need to have a heart's desire to bless them and you want to act on that desire and, and do something loving for them. So when we're loving God, love God, love people, This it begins in the heart that we just need to walk around with, in life with this desire that God, I want to bless you. But more than just a desire, we, we want to act on that. That we want to do things that bless God by, by living for Him, by worshiping, by studying His Word, by praying, by serving in His kingdom, by going to Russia or whatever it might be that God calls you It's the heart and and action. And then when we love people, it's the same. That we should actually have a desire to, to really bless people. And then we act on that blessing. And this can be, of course, very difficult. Right, I mean, maybe superficially, we might think this is easy. I mean, this is why we tend to boil love down because if love is just a feeling, then then love is easy because I just got to love those that I like and I love and and that 's easy, or if you just say it 's just an action, then I can hate someone and not really want to bless them, but just do something for them because that is love, but it 's way bigger than that I mean this is where it gets hard when when we 're being tempted in that moment to really love. Uh, we're tempted to sin, and yet we're saying, God, can I love you in this moment? Do I really have a, a desire to bless you and, and act that way in obedience when, when the temptation to sin is, is maybe very strong? Loving God when you're being pulled towards sin can be very difficult. Or to love an enemy, to have a desire to bless an enemy and then act on it. That becomes more difficult because Jesus says we are to love our enemies. It doesn't just mean smiling at them. It doesn't just mean, you know, throwing them 20 bucks. It's actually a desire to bless them and then you act on that. That is love. So where in the world do we get the motivation to love that way? I mean, where do you get the motivation when your marriage is in a very difficult spot and you just don't even like your spouse maybe to really have a desire to bless her or him, and then to act on it. I mean, where does that that power come from? And we could talk about a few different things. We could talk about the fruit of the Spirit. When we live by the Spirit, one of the first, the, the fruit is love, right? But the other thing that I want to talk about today is, is this. First John four nineteen says this, we love because he first loved us. I mean, why do we love God? Why do we love people? Why do we love even our enemies? Because we're just nice people? Because that's just the right thing to do? No, we love because He has first loved us. And so the motivation to really enter into loving God well and to really enter loving people well has to begin by understanding just how much God loves you and me. Because when we understand how much He has loved us first, then we just go, man, I just want to share that with others. And so, let's take a quick glimpse just at God's love for us. Romans 5 says, When we were still powerless, and all these underlined words describe us here uh, before Christ, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to Him. And so, God loved us when we were powerless, when we were ungodly, when we're sinners and when we're enemies. God did the most loving thing that anybody possibly could do. He dies for us. And this is why uh, a lot of Christians teach, and, and I think it's rightly so, that, that no matter where you are, God loves you. That it doesn't matter where you've been through, that God, He loves you. And that there is nothing you can do right now to make God love you any less. Because you can't get any less than a powerless, ungodly sinner and an enemy. And if God loves you then, man, He loves you now. And if you're feeling like God couldn't love me because I'm an enemy and a sinner and God, I'm powerless and God would never love me because look at me. He does immensely love you. And no matter where you are, who you are, God loves you. I mean, God loves you just as you are. But the reality is that God loves you too much to leave you there, Right? I mean, it is true that God loves us as this, but but He is so good that He's calling us deeper into His love. He's calling us deeper into discipleship. He is calling us deeper into His Word and deeper into His Kingdom. And God wants to change you and grow you. I mean, yeah, God loves us as you are, but He is so loving; He doesn't want to leave you there, right? But you got to sense God's love for you. That if you ever think, "Well, oh, God doesn't love me because I did this," I mean. Man, you can't get any, any worse than a powerless, ungodly sinner and an enemy, and if God loves you like that, then man, his love is amazing. And even deeper, uh, like John 15:9 to 10 says this, this is, this is Jesus talking about his disciples, but would also relate to us, as his followers. "Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you." Now, think for a moment about the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. One God, uh, three persons, all equal, right? And there's perfection. There is no sin in God. Just think how much the Father loves the Son. And the Son loves the Father. And the Father loves the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit loves Jesus. This absolute perfect love, no faults. It's not 99%. It's 100% pure love in the Trinity. And yet Jesus says... That He has loved us as much as the Father loves Jesus. That As much as God the Father loves Jesus, He loves us. And He doesn't even say that once. He says that twice in John 17. It says that Jesus has loved them, even, even, uh, or the Father has loved them even as you have loved me. In other words, the same love that the Father has for Jesus is the same love that He has for us. I mean, I mean, do you do you do you sense that love? Do you, do you think God's love for you is like it's, you know, kind of ninety-five percent or maybe only fifty percent because he didn't have the best week, or because he just didn't read your Bible enough this week, or whatever it might be? I mean, He loves you with a perfect love. He has washed away all of your sin. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if someone like paid your tax bill or your parking ticket? We'd be like, woo! I mean, God has paid every single one of our bills. All of the punishment that we deserve that separates from a holy God, He has washed it all away. All of our guilt, all of our shame, He has given us a new life in Him. We get to experience the kingdom. We have everlasting life in the new heavens and the new earth as we talked about last week. I mean, what His love is so deep. It is so wide. It is so absolutely amazing. I mean, a true kind of love like this. And then God says that we're to pass it on. Uh, we're actually to to be like replicators of his love. Uh, I mean, Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. Uh, We have not received God's love because we're great people. God loved us when we're sinners, when we're enemies, when we're ungodly. God loved us then. I mean, he has freely given it to us. He didn't say... Jesse, if you want my love, you've got to give me $10,000. Or Jesse, if you want me to love, you've got to be really, 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 really good. He has freely given us love, and therefore we freely give others love. But the problem is we love to charge for our love, don't we? We love it. I will only love you if you do this, 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 and this. I will only love you if you hold up your end of the bargain. I will only love you if you're nice to me. We charge for our love. We've received free love from God, yet we take that and we go... You know, I'm gonna, you know, mark that up. Charge people. This is why Jesus says we're to love our enemies, because God has loved us as enemies, we love our enemies. This is why God calls us to forgive, because He has forgiven us, we forgive. And uh, Ephesians 5:1 says, "Follow God's example." Now, what is His example? Again, he, he sent His Son when we were enemies, when we were far away from Him, when we were miserable. Uh, he loved us as enemies. We're to follow in that example, right? He is kind and patient, and therefore, uh, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love. That's what it says. Follow God's example, and one of the first things it says is just, just, just walk in the way of love. As First Corinthians 16 says, do everything in love. Now how much love are we to give? Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I mean, that is, is the example. And it's funny how we say, well, you know, I'll just be as loving as, you know, loving as my pastor is loving. Or I'll just be as loving as my wife is loving. I'll just be as loving as that person. You know, that that's, that's not the example. I'm not the example. Now I'm to be an example, but the ultimate example is God. And this is why we cannot sit back and say I'm not going to forgive you because God has forgiven us all our sin. Why we can't sit back and say I'm so bitter about what you've done because you've done it. Now God has washed away our sin. This is why God says love your enemies. He says there's to be no limit on on our love because there's been no limit on the love that He has given, given us. Now in this text... In verse 40, it says all the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Now remember the guy asked Jesus, what is the greatest command? And Jesus answers with two, right? If you ask somebody, what is the best thing in the world? And they give you two. It's like, well, ask for one, right? (laughs) Jesus gives two. And the reason is because the unity of loving God and loving people is so intertwined they can't separate them. You can't pull them apart. In fact, Jesus says here that all the law and the prophet depend on these two commands. I mean, of course, he was talking about the Old Testament in that day, but the summary of all the 613 laws is found in loving God and loving people. He didn't just say loving God. He said loving God and loving people. I mean, the Bible is so very clear that that if we ever try to separate these things, we're on very dangerous ground. That if we say, well, I'm just about loving God, and I'm happy to remain unforgiving towards somebody, I'm happy to be angry at that person, to have a grudge against that person, but I love God. The Bible says, you are on such dangerous ground. Because these commandments are so intertwined. I mean, just read through the book of 1 John. For instance, this one passage says, We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. How do you know you're saved? John says. Because you love one another. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. And again, the example... Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Again, action. I mean, it's so clear that you cannot say, God, I'm in love with you and I love you, I love you, I love you. Yet be an angry, bitter, unforgiving person who doesn't love people. I mean, you've just been fooled. You're in a delusion. Satan's got you in a trap. These, these two commands, they are intertwined. Now, now, granted, sometimes it is really hard to forgive someone. And sometimes it's really hard not to be bitter when someone is really hurt. And, and there are times when we run to God and, and we're going, God, I need your help and I need your strength. But it's to realize that these two are so closely tied together. In fact, loving others is so important. In Matthew 7, he says this, In everything, treat others as you want them to treat you, for this fulfills the law and the prophets. He doesn't even mention loving God there. He just says, what is the fulfillment of all these laws? You treat other people the way you want to be treated. You love people. That's the summary. He doesn't even mention loving God here. It's not because it's not important, but it's because... Loving others is, is that important. Or First John 3. This is His command. Again, the summary. To believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. That's this loving God. Because the most loving thing we can do towards God is to believe in Jesus. And to love one another as He commanded us. And so this is the one thing we cannot miss as Christians. There's a lot of things we can mess up on, but this is the one thing that we cannot miss. And that is love and growing deeper in our love for one another. All discipleship has to point primarily to growing in love. All doctrine, all theology needs to be saturated in love. I mean, everything must point to love. I mean, if you're growing, if you think you're growing as a Christian, but you're not growing in love, there's a problem with your discipleship. I mean, are you a more loving person today than you were a year ago? If you're not a more loving person today than a year ago, there's something wrong with your discipleship. Over and over and over and over and over again, the Bible says this is the primary virtue that must describe your life. And I'll just give you some of these verses. Colossians 3, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Clothe yourself with compassion. Again, because we're dearly loved, we clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And then it says this, and over all these virtues, put on love. I mean, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, those are amazing virtues. But he says above all of those things, the ultimate virtues, the top, the tier, is that you would be a loving person. Okay? So over all these virtues, put on love. Or 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now these three remain. Faith, hope, and love. Faith is important. Hope is important. Love is important. But then he says the greatest... Of these is love. Or Galatians 5, 6. There they're dealing with a conflict of the circumcisers. I was making; They wanted to, everybody to be circumcised. Because if you weren't circumcised, you weren't saved. And they were all like, oh, you know, this is theology. You need to be circumcised. And, and Paul pipes in and says, hey, look. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. If your desire to have everybody circumcised is not soaked in love, there's a problem with your faith. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing it through love. Now we say, we challenge these words. Well, of course there's another thing that counts. Well, obviously. There's a lot of things that are so important. Doctrine is so important. Theology is so important. I mean, I love theology. That's what I do on my vacation. I listen to theology. I mean, I love it. But if it's not soaked in love, there's a problem. Because all discipleship, all of our relationship must point to loving God and loving people. Or 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now we would say, well, you gain something, right? I mean, we gain something, but he's saying, this is how important love is. You gain nothing. I mean, I don't care if this church grows to a thousand people. If the thing that they don't see most in us is love, there's a problem. We gain nothing. I don't care if there's a revival that sweeps through this. I mean, if that revival isn't about loving God more and loving people more, there's a problem with that revival. Now, sometimes we need to love people with hard truth and those kind of things. Obviously, that's that's in the Bible. But the thing that must just pour out of us is love. And if your doctrine, your theology, your way of life, if it's not loving, you gain nothing according to Paul. Again, this is the utmost, the very first in the line of the fruit of the Spirit, it is love. In fact, John the Apostle who wrote the Gospel of John, First John, Second John, Third John, uh, he was the only Apostle who actually lived uh, and actually died as an old age. But you read his book on 1 John, I mean, so serious about love. And a lot of times, Christians, as they get older, they just kind of mature in their faith. And and one of the early church fathers, Jerome, wrote this about uh, John the Apostle before he died. This comes from his ancient commentary on Galatians. He says this, The blessed John the Evangelist, who remained in Ephesus to an advanced age and could scarcely be carried to the church with the help of his disciples, at each assembly... He used to say no more than this. Little children, love one another. Eventually, the disciples and brethren who were present grew tired of always hearing the same thing and said, Master, why do you keep on saying this? He replied with a sentiment worthy of John, because it is a precept of the Lord and it is sufficient if this alone is done. And here is one of the apostles who walked with Jesus, giving his final advice before he dies to a church. Love one another. Love one another. So much that people were tired of hearing him say this because this is so key to the gospel, so key to our life as Christians that we would just love one another. And we are never going to agree on everything. We're never going to you know, be buddy-buddy friends, hanging out to give, giving each other noogies all the time, but we're going to love each other, right? When John 17 says that this is to be one of the signs to the world, it says, I have given them glory that you gave me, the same glory that God the Father gave Jesus He gave to us. Do you realize that? That we're glorious because of God in us. That they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me. So that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That our unity doesn't mean conformity, but our unity and our love for each other is to be assigned to the world. Or John 13, he says this twice. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Again, that's the standard. So to love this way, you first need to be saturated in God's love for you. Until you're saturated for God's love for you, it's hard to, to love people. So you must love one another. By this, he says, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, he could have said a lot of things by your Bible reading, by your church attendance, by your tithing, by the smile on your face, by you know uh, how much you study theology, or you know, how much you give to the poor. I mean, all those things are really important things. He didn't say that. He said, by the way, you love one another. The world will know that Christ is real, that Christ is alive, that Christ is amazing primarily. Now, there's lots of other things, but primarily. Because they walk and see, wow, you guys really love each other. You've got rich people and poor people and, and people from all different stats of life. And, and they, they actually love each other. That's amazing. There must be something to this Jesus. And we might think, well, that's impossible. It's not possible. In fact, uh, some of the early church, they did this. Uh, to in, in his apology, which just means uh, defense of the faith, from... Uh, 200 A.D. So this is like 100 years, 180 years after Jesus. Or 170 years after Jesus. He says this talking about what the world was saying about the church. He says, It is mainly the deeds of love so noble that lead many to put a brand on us. He's talking about the outsiders. See, they say, how they love one another. See, they say about us, how they are ready even to die for one another. This <laughs> is what he says. This is what the pagans are saying about us. Wow, those people really love each other. Wow, those people are willing to lay down their lives for each other. Wow. And I believe that we can get back there, that we can get back to a place where we really do love each other. That's not easy. That's why all of us need to have a firm grasp on the gospel and that while we are enemies and sinners and ungodly, He has shined love on us. So who in the world am I not to love those around me? And we can grow in that and bless in that. I mean, when people walk in, love them. Have a desire to want to bless them and and show an action. Say something. Pray for them. Just bless them. If someone new walks in here, don't just talk to your friends. Say, hey, my name is Jesse or Joe or Henry or whatever it is. Glad you're here and that this place is to be a loving place. And this is why our mission is loving Jesus, loving people. And through the love of God and our love for people, we want to see lives transformed. I mean, this is so central that, I mean, again, we, tr- we try to kind of limit this and kind of wash it away and say, well, no, 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 I just need to love God and I don't really need to love people. I just Over and over and over and over again, the Bible says this is the one thing you can't miss. This is the one thing you can't miss. And if you are not growing in love, there's a problem with your discipleship. Yeah, we're to grow in our theology, grow in our doctrine, and grow in our, in our Bible reading, and in our prayer, and all that stuff is so important. But all of that, I mean, you've got to picture all that like a sponge. Like doctrine is a sponge. It's soaked in love. And we are to be like a sponge, soaked in love. That's the challenge, eh? Because some of you are hard to love. And I know some of you look at me and say, that pastor, he's hard to love. I mean, but we're going to do it. Because that's what he calls us to do, right? And let's pray. Uh, God, we thank you that you have loved us so incredibly. God, to even think that you love us as much as there is love flowing in the Trinity is amazing. That you loved us when we were ungodly and sinners and enemies. And that love is shining and you keep calling us deeper into that pool of love because you and us to be united together and united with you. God, would you help us to live up to that challenge? Would you help us, God, to, to love deeply in our marriages, in our families? God, that we'd be willing to put away those things that, that, that are just not in line with love. And God, that you'd help us to love each other deeply in our differences here. And God, that we would focus on you and that we would study and talk and discuss and challenge each other at times, but we we do that all in love. And so God, I pray that you would grow us deeper. I pray that one day people from Mount Sentinel, people from this area, this community, say, wow, that Junction Church, they are a loving group of people. So God, help us to rise to that. God, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for this meal that we're going to share together, together and just hang out and Love each other as we eat together. And so we pray you bless the meal. We thank you for those who put it together. And uh, we just say, God, you're good. In Jesus' name, amen.